0: You're listening to the Live Church Lavonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube, and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here, we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Live Church Lavonia. Good morning, Life Church Livonia. It is great to be here today with you. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm on staff here at Life Church Livonia as one of the pastors. And if you're just checking us out, if you're here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. We're really glad you're here, and I'm really thankful uh, that you made time to be here today. Welcome to the family reunion. Every single Sunday is like a big family dinner here for the people of God. It's a time we get together and get to see each other and celebrate each other and remind ourselves and each other of who God is, of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will continue to do. So welcome. Today is one such reminder. Today we're starting this new series called Fear Not. Uh, When I was a child, I thought the Christmas story was this light, hopeful, uh, fun, serene, peaceful event. And I could not have been more wrong. As I've grown and matured, I've been able to see that actually the first Christmas uh, was wrought with political tension and tragedy, with anxiousness and fear, with great darkness and great confusion. And yet, God shows up and tells Mary and Joseph to fear not. Because in all the tumult, all the grief, all the chaos, God was on the move, bringing salvation to the world. And that phrase, fear not, is not just a phrase for the people of the first Christmas. It is God's words to you and I today. God is inviting each one of us into the work that he is doing in this time, in this place, for such a time as this. A couple of weeks ago, I was down here, I'm I'm in my basement, and uh, I was setting up the cameras to film something for my dad, and we're chit-chatting, you know, just like, hey, how you been, or how was traveling, or this and that. And um, (laughs) one of the difficult things when filming my father is to try to get his eyes to be bright enough without uh, getting a lot of reflection off of his glasses. For months, my dad's been telling me that he's been looking for these new glasses. They're supposed to have this anti-reflection, anti-glare thing. Uh, and that's really supposed to help him um, with filming videos and stuff like that. So I'm setting up cameras in, in the basement studio here, and he's telling me about that, uh, how he just got these new anti-glare lenses. He's like, yeah, it's great. I finally got the glasses. I'm really hoping they're gonna work. And then he goes to me, but I don't think they got my prescription quite. <laughs> <laughs> Smokes his face! <laughs> Just smoked his face on something hanging down from the ceiling on the ductwork hanging down in my basement. <laughs> and I burst out laughing as he's telling me this prescription might not quite be right. <laughs> And he walks face first into something in my basement. And he's like rolling in pain. And he's like, no!" Nah, nah. And I said, I'm sorry for laughing. He goes, yeah, you really got the gift of compassion here, kid. And I said, are you okay? I'm sorry. He goes, no, I'm not okay. I just got the chiropractic adjustment from hell. And it just so perfectly illustrated what is so painfully obvious, but so profoundly true. The lenses through which we see life determine whether or not we crash or stay on course. And one thing that the reason this series is important to me in this season is I just feel like the whole country is seeing all of life through the lenses of fear and grief. Now, one thing I want to clear up as we begin this series, Um, fear is not a bad feeling. Okay, fear is not a bad feeling. It's a God-given, normal, good gift in many places. You know, it's the way we respond to danger naturally so we don't hurt ourselves and die. It's why you don't have like news articles of, yeah, I don't know, he just walked off the cliff. He said it looks great down there and he just walked right off of it. We don't do stuff like that because of fear, right? We cook with open fire in our houses every single day and yet our houses don't burn down every single day. Why is that? It's because of fear right? You don't see people just like, yeah, I don't know how we got into the seven car pile up. I just saw the daisies on the side of the road and went, that looks great. We don't do that because of fear. Fear keeps us alive. Fear is not a bad feeling, but fear is a bad lens. Fear is not a bad feeling, but fear is a bad lens. According to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, nearly one in five people in the United States suffer with an anxiety disorder or depression disorder. And the CDC reported as of February 2021, almost a year ago, 41.5% of people over the age of 18 have an anxiety or or depression disorder currently in this country. And it only makes sense, right? It only makes sense. When we look at the things going on around us locally, nationally, internationally, interpersonally, I mean, come on, we're afraid because the COVID cases in Michigan in the past couple months went from under 1% to over 18%. I mean, just this week, one of the members of my band got COVID and uh, we were unable to play a show in the way we had planned. And that was uh, a difficult, sad thing. He's doing okay, but uh, it just is everywhere. And the cases are rising like crazy. So many schools have been closed in this last week because of a shooting in Oxford, Michigan, just 40 minutes from here, where 12 people were shot and four were killed. And the saddest part is this isn't even a unique story. This kind of thing happens all the time all over the the country. Some of us are afraid right now of the vaccine mandates and how the government is taking way more control than we want to give with the vaccine mandates. Others are terrified of transmitting COVID-19 to someone they love or care about and permanently damaging them or permanently changing their family through a death. Many of us are afraid of losing our financial security. We're afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid of our industries freezing up again with the resurgence of the Omicron variant. Some of us are afraid we're never going to be able to afford the house we want to buy in this crazy market. Others are afraid of losing our marriages. COVID has not been good for many of us. Some of us are afraid of losing our friendships. This isolation hasn't been good for us. Some of us are afraid of losing relationships with our kids over political issues. Some of us are just afraid of losing our hope in humanity in general. And we're afraid to lose our sanity to boot. Whether it's COVID, whether it's meta, whether it's AI, whether it's the modern warfare on social media and the ways other countries have used it to try to influence the United States. Or maybe it's just how fast the world is changing and how hard it is to keep up with it. We all have a lot of fear. Fear is not a bad feeling, but it is a bad lens. And I felt pulled to do this series, to see the Christmas story through this perspective, because right now we have a lot of fear and yet, so did the people of the first Christmas. And this morning, I want to look at the life particularly of Joseph, and not just the miracle of the baby being born in the manger, but I want you to see the world the baby was born into, and the things going on in Joseph's life and context, and how God showed up in the midst of that and told Joseph to fear not. So we have to first ask What did Joseph have to fear, and how did he keep that from becoming the lens through which he viewed the world? So we're going to jump between Matthew and Luke, because both of these gospels hold slightly different accounts, different shapes of the Christmas story, and together we get a fuller picture. So we're going to begin by just reading in Luke chapter 2, and it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while well, Quirinius, now yeah, you tell me, okay, uh, was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, to the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Now, there is a ton of history and ton of context in just these small four verses. And I wanted to tell you literally all about them. And I had this whole thing to track the history and how you could understand everything going on. And I preached it to Amber and she said, yeah, that was boring. (laughs) So we'll cover it and tell me more. So tell me more. For those of you that want to know more about the history, who are the history buffs that you want, the nitty gritty details, Thursday's podcast, look for it there. But the first thing I want you to notice in this verse is simply, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken the entire Roman world. And this Roman world includes Israel, which was free, a free nation, two generations before this. You see, Joseph's grandparents or great-grandparents would have lived in a free Israel. And their grandparents would have likely participated in this thing called the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt was a time when the Jewish people rose up and they threw off their oppressors through a rebellion and they won their international freedom. So they were an independent state. And in that, they had reclaimed God's promise to Abraham that he was going to give Abraham this promised land. And they rededicated the temple in Jerusalem. And it was a time of great celebration and joy because they felt like we are living in God's promises to his people. Until, oh, and by the way, Hanukkah celebrates that revolt, FYI. But then a guy named Antipater came along, and he kind of sold the Jewish people into slavery in Rome. That's a very broad stroke way to put it, but that's kind of what happened. And his son, King Herod, came to power, and he was king when Jesus was born. But uh, he had sold out to the Romans, and Herod was using the Roman muscle to keep his place as the king of Israel and to quell any other people that might be thinking they want, might want a Maccabean revolt round two. But Herod didn't just want to rule Israel with an iron fist. He wanted to eliminate Jewish culture and the distinctives of the people of God and indoctrinate and replace Jewish culture with Roman culture. But to keep the Jews from getting too mad and dicey about it, he poured a bunch of money into improving the temple of God. So imagine being Joseph, you're 16, you're sitting at a family dinner, you're celebrating Hanukkah, and your whole family is starting to talk about politics, because how can they not? It's Hanukkah. Your grandparents start talking about how, oh, I wish we were still free in the good old days when God was with us. And then your cousin over here starts talking about how he just got a job as a tax collector under Herod, who's now, he's like, hey, if you can't beat him, join him, I got to make a living somehow. And he sold out to the Roman government. And then you have your parents who are just trying to make peace and going, but Herod, Herod, uh, he improved the temple, didn't he? I mean, he's got to be, that's got to be something, right? I mean, he doesn't hate the Jews totally because look at the beautiful temple he made. Isn't it amazing? You thought your family politic conversations were intense. Imagine being freshly occupied by a foreign country. I mean, just think of it. Think if America, Right, If America in the next generation got taken over by China, because someone from the House of Representatives sold us to China, basically, and then used some kind of military might that was unknown to us to take us over, so that he could be the new king of America. And then some people actually like it and support him because he built a really beautiful church when he did it. right? This is what's happening in Joseph's political environment. But whichever side the political conversations fell on, one thing was true for all the Jews. They were lamenting that they were no longer free. And they were lamenting that it looked like God had abandoned them. And they were afraid that God had abandoned them. Matthew goes on to keep saying that this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, which has had any kind of sexual relationship, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Ouch, again, imagine being Joseph. Your fiance comes to you, she says, hey, I'm pregnant. What are you thinking? Right, and then she goes, no, I swear it's God. Okay, (laughs) right, I don't think so, Mary. This is not in any of the Jewish scriptures. This has never happened before. So, your country just lost its freedom. You're in all this political tumult. You're being ruled by this uh, vindictive, totalitarian king, and now your fiance cheats on you. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You know, at that time, Joseph could have had her killed for the infidelity, but he didn't. And the Bible says, after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now. At first, he was nervous that his fiance had cheated on him. But now, if he obeys God, I mean, people can count to nine. They're going to see the baby bump at the wedding, right? They're going to be like, oh, Joseph, I didn't know you guys. Okay. And back in that day, especially, any kind of sexual relationship before marriage was incredibly taboo and brought a lot of social shame that often impacted your future greatly. And in many religious communities, this is still taboo and true. And because in Christianity, it's a sin. It's not how God designed us to do family. And so here Joseph is stuck between, okay, I'm either going to lose my fiance or I'm going to lose my social reputation and live with social shame for the rest of my life. And as a side note, can you imagine the pressure and fear of being the father of, early father of God? <laughs> That's no small order. So here Joseph is, and the Bible doesn't say what he's feeling, but I would imagine that he's feeling afraid of either losing his fiance or marrying into social shame for the rest of his life, based on assumptions people are making because they don't understand what God is doing. After Jesus is born, magi from the east come to worship him and they go to King Herod because they're looking for the king of the Jews. Now, The Magi didn't know this at the time, but Herod was so power hungry and scared of losing that power that he had actually killed his wife and children to keep his place on the throne. He was so nervous his sons were going to succeed him as king that he just killed them. Woof. So when these people come knocking on his door saying, Hey, we're here to see the king of the Jews, and it's not you, they don't realize they just stepped on a real big nerve. The Bible says, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go ahead and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. The Magi do find Jesus, and they do worship him, and they offer him gifts. But then they're warned in a dream by God not to go back to Herod. So they go home another way. And the Bible says, When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Jerusalem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Imagine having no boys in your whole metro area in any grade for two to three years. Imagine two to three years of no boys in kindergarten. Imagine two to three years of graduating classes with only girls. Imagine how this would affect families in that metro area. Imagine how it would affect the workforce, marriages. Imagine how it would affect industries that relied upon male apprenticeships like carpentry. It's hard to quantify the impact of such a horrible, horrible act. And you want to know what the worst part was? It was legal. Herod was king. And so his will was law. And the people of Israel lived afraid of his unjust laws from this unjust government. So here we are. All these things are happening surrounding the first Christmas. Just like today, there was a ton to fear and a ton to grieve. This loss of freedom, these unjust and oppressive governments, all of the social and interpersonal angst that is going to come from obeying God. And yet God was up to something. God was on the move. I want you to take a look at this list of names. This is the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew chapter 1. He begins his gospel with it. This list represents 1,767 years of one family's bloodline. Each name is a life. Each life had hopes and dreams. Each life had great challenges to overcome and great fears to contend with. But despite the challenges around them, Despite the state of the world at any point in this human history, God was on the move. You see, despite the fact that Jacob's family was almost torn apart by jealousy and dysfunctional conflict, God was on the move. Despite the fact that Judas slept with his daughter in law Tamar because he thought she was a prostitute, God was on the move. Despite the fact that Ruth was a widow and an immigrant who is not fully welcome in Israel, other than by Boaz. God was on the move. Despite the fact that David served under a corrupt king and later mirrored that corruption by committing adultery and murdering the woman's husband, God was on the move. Despite the fact that Solomon lost his faith, in the middle years he fell away from God, God was on the move despite the fact that Rehoboam was power hungry and a fool who split the nation of Israel in two for his own selfish gain. God was on the move despite the fact that Jehoram and Ahaz and Manasseh and Amon lived evil lives and led the people of Judah astray, God was on the move. Despite the effect that Israel refused to repent of their sin for generations and were exiled from the promised land of Babylon, God was on the move. Despite the fact that Abihud and Eliakim and Zadok and Azor and akim and Eliud were all nobodies the Bible doesn't even say anything about, God was on the move. When Israel was exiled to Babylon, Babylon got taken over by a country called Persia, and progressively that took over a little bit more of the known world. Then Alexander the Great comes in and takes over Persia, and he takes over the whole known world, and Alexander teaches every person in that culture Greek so that everyone can trade in that time period. And that was the first time since the Tower of Babel that everyone in the known world could speak the same language. Eventually, Alexander's kingdom becomes the Greek, and then the Roman Empire and Rome builds roads to every single place in the world so that they can talk, trade, and travel anywhere in the Roman Empire. And through each of these changes in world power, as governments are toppling and kingdoms are falling and new ones are rising up, God is moving through the names on this list so that the first time in human history that everyone can speak the same language and there's roadways to everywhere in the world, Jesus Christ is born on the only plot of land on the planet that borders three continents in a sea. So that on Christmas Day, The kingdom of God would break through so that every person could hear with no barriers that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not die but have eternal life. So when Joseph says yes to taking Mary as his wife and Jesus as his son, when he says yes to the first Christmas and no to the lens of fear, he has no idea that he is participating in a move of God that has lasted 2,000 years over 30 generations. So that you and I might be standing here today another 2,000 years later, and this family we call the church, because our sins have been washed away By a baby boy who was born in a manger who didn't die in conception because Joseph said yes to Jesus. And when the angel tells Joseph, do not be afraid, it's because the angel is not seeing through the lens of Herod or Nazareth or Galilee or Rome. He sees what God is doing through this list across all time and space to make all wrongs right, to take all sin away, to bring salvation to the whole world and the kingdom of heaven to earth. The angel was not seeing through the lens of fear, but through the eyes of God, because he could see above all of Joseph's troubles. He was seeing us and he was seeing to a day far beyond us that is even better. So this Christmas season Despite the political tumult and cultural division, despite the worrying implications of things like Meta and Neuralink and AI, despite the social media manipulation and mental health issues, despite the heartbreaking impact of COVID-19, despite the brokenness of our relationships, God is on the move. So let me ask you, where in your life have you been looking through the lens of fear? Where are the possibilities of what might go wrong, the filter through which you see reality? Because in Joseph's day, yes, the Jews had lost their freedom. But God was working out their freedom from sin and a little baby in a manger. And yes, there were family tensions and broken relationships but God was working to reconcile the whole world to himself through Christ. And yes, they were under an oppressive and unjust government, but on Christmas night, God's government broke through and the kingdom of heaven began moving into earth through the birth of a baby boy named Jesus. I wanna invite you today to take those lenses of fear off your face and to see through the eyes of God instead. And as we close, I just wanna show you real briefly how I see Joseph doing that and invite you into that. One of the things I see Joseph do is that he didn't ignore his fear, he acknowledged it. Mary's pregnant, he doesn't know what to do about it. And the Bible says, but after he had considered this, he comes up, okay, wow, this is reality. He comes up with a plan, I'm going to divorce Mary quietly so I don't bring any undue shame to her. And then after he had considered this, he faces the fear instead of ignoring it, narcotizing it, running away from it, numbing himself. He faces the fear and acknowledges, this is it. This is what I'm afraid of. And then next, he lets that fear be defined by God. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. He's hearing God speak to him. And many of us don't even make it to this part. We, we come up with a plan and we're so anxious about what may work and what not. We don't even stop to hear God's voice. And this morning, I want you to know God is willing to stop you so that you can hear him. And I want you to ask him for that, if that's what you need. If you don't know how, ask him to stop you so you can hear him clearly. And then finally, Joseph says yes. He says yes to God. He acknowledges his fear. He lets God define that fear. Do not be afraid. He lets God's lens be the lens he sees through. And then he walks forward and says yes to that. Joseph and Mary could see that God was on the move. And they said yes to what God was doing in their day and in their time. And today, God is still on the move. And you were born for such a time as this. And God is inviting you into what He is doing in this day at this time. You and I are simply one name in a list of generations. You and I are just one name on this list. And God is doing something across all time and space, across generations whose names we don't even know the names of, to accomplish His purposes in the world. And we have been handed a baton, and at the end of our lives we're going to have to hand that off. And the question is, what are we going to do in the in-between? God is on the move. And He is inviting you into what He is doing. And if you want to take off that lens of fear and begin to see through the eyes of God, I just want you right now to open your hands with me, to surrender all the things you've been holding tight to. Maybe your kid's future, maybe your finances, maybe your marriage having to look or go a certain way maybe the government and your opinions about what needs to happen for us to be okay. I just want you to release all of that. And I want you to pray with me. Lord Jesus, God, we come before you now. And I ask Lord that you would help us to acknowledge what we're afraid of, and to surrender that to you, we lift up our kids, our finances, our identity, our relationships, our futures, our hopes, our fears. And we, Lord, ask that you would show us what you are up to in this time, in this place, in Metro Detroit, bringing your kingdom here. And God, we surrender to joining you in your work. I pray that you would use our lives as you see fit, that like Joseph, we might say yes to you. And in doing so, say yes to your work across hundreds of generations. God, we surrender our lives to you now. And if you've never followed Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart right now, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I give myself to you. You can have my life because in you there is life and life to the full. God, I give myself to you and I promise, Lord, I surrender to you that you can have my life and you are now my Lord. I choose to follow you. I give myself to you and I ask that you would make me new. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you just prayed with us, I want you to reach out to us via our connection card. I know you don't want to do it. It's okay. We want to walk alongside you. And you are not in this alone. And you don't have to be. So please reach out to us via our connection card on our digital bulletin. So we can help you partner with what God is doing in this generation. In the name of Jesus, amen.